0: Can I get an amen to that beautiful song? Surely we have seen faithful love face to face. Jesus is his name. I may have mentioned this recently, but sometimes at night I ask my daughters, who loves you best? And the answer, of course, is God. And then I ask them, how do you know God loves you? And sometimes I get the answer, you know, because of the beautiful world that he made. Uh, because we have a great family or a great church. And those are all ways that we know God loves us and cares for us. But the best way, the primary way that we know God loves us is because He sent Jesus to this earth to live as our example, to die as as, uh, our sacrifice on the cross for our sins, and who was raised to give us hope of eternal life. We experience the love of God Through Jesus Christ and that's why we're gathered here this morning to celebrate God's love to give him all the honor that is due his name for sending Jesus to the earth uh, and for providing that pathway to salvation that we can enjoy we're glad that you're here this morning God's given us a beautiful day to come together and as we get started I saw several visitors uh, coming in and uh, I think it would be great if we could get on our feet and look around us and greet the people Uh, who are gathered with us to worship today. Let's do that right now as we begin. Hey, what's up, buddy? All right, have a seat. All right, y'all. I did prepare a sermon. I'd like to present sometime today. I hope I hope that you're excited to be here uh, this morning. We've got a big night. Uh, tonight, as Mike mentioned, tonight's our trunk or treat. I hope you'll be here at six o'clock to participate in that. We still need some people to sign up to help in the kitchen. We still need some people to sign up to uh, decorate their trunk out in the the uh, parking lot behind our school uh, in that upper lot. And you can find those sign up lists on the right as you head out of uh, the auditorium this morning. I hope you'll. Help us by participating in that. We had a big Sunday night last week. We're going to have a big Sunday night tonight. And we have a great opportunity uh, to greet many visitors that I expect will be in our midst to make sure they feel welcomed here. And so come back tonight at 6 o'clock for our trunk or treat. I know that a lot of our kids are especially excited about tonight. They get to dress up. And they'll probably be dressed up when we get together here at 6 o'clock in the, the auditorium for our devotional. But on top of that, they get I see some excitement back here already. I mean, there's just joy in the house. Because tonight we come together and we get to get some good candy. Because I know there's just such a candy shortage in our country that we've got to come together and collect candy out in the parking lot. But I know there's great excitement and I want to ask you a question. When is it that you've been most excited in your life? I want you to think of a time in your life when you experienced great excitement. I think about when we were expecting our children, when we were anticipating the arrival of a baby. That is an exciting time. Maybe back up from that and you're looking forward to uh, getting married, you're counting down the days until the big day when you get to tie the knot with the one you love. That's an exciting season of life. What about when you were a child and yet went to bed on Christmas Eve knowing that the next morning there'd be some gifts under the tree, that the big man was coming that night to bring you some presents and you just couldn't hardly get to sleep because you were so excited anticipating Christmas morning. A lot of us get excited before we go on vacation and we're looking forward to spending some time away at a a, different locale than our homes, along with our families. That's an exciting time. we got a lot of football fans in the house for various teams, and you probably, depending on how your team's doing this season, uh, you might be getting excited throughout the week as you think about the big game on Saturday, especially if you get to attend that game in person. We're looking at a text this morning in which we see some excitement. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and I would invite you to grab a Bible and to go there with me, if you would. Grab your Bible, the Bible on the rack uh, in front of you. Go to the New Testament. uh, Go through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then you come to Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, and then 2 Corinthians. That's where we're going to be. Chapter 9. The Corinthian Christians in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 They are excited about something. Paul, in this text, uses the word zealous. They're zealous, and he uses this this idea of readiness no fewer than four times. He talks about how ready they are, how eager they are. About what? What is it they're so excited about? They're excited about giving. Yes, yes. You heard it right. That's what they're excited about. That's what they're ready for. That's what they're eager for. Paul, as he has shared in these letters, is taking a collection to be delivered to the Jerusalem church for relief for Christians in Judea. And he's going around different places. He's collecting money for brothers and sisters in Christ. The Corinthian Christians, all the way, way far away from Jerusalem, they sense a, a, a kinship with their brothers and sisters back in Judea. And they have committed, they have pledged to give to this special contribution. And Paul, everywhere he's been going, has been bragging about their excitement, about their readiness to give. Now let me ask you something. Do we get excited about giving? Is that something that we get eager about? That we're ready to do as they were? Now, we know we're supposed to. To give. We have learned this since we were kids in Sunday school class. As individual Christians, we know that the New Testament makes clear that we're supposed to give. We're supposed to be generous. Romans chapter 12, verse 13, Paul says, Contribute to the needs of the saints. That's pretty clear, right? Pretty clear command. And then I think about James, the second chapter, when James says, It does no one any good for you to say to a a hungry person who doesn't have any clothes, go and be warmed and be filled. Don't do that. Don't just give them hollow words. Help them out. Give them some clothes. Give them a bite to eat if you find a brother or sister in need. So as individual Christians, we know we know we're supposed to give, but it goes beyond that. We know we're also supposed to give collectively as a as individuals in a church family. As Part of the weekly assembly. Giving is an act of worship, the New Testament reveals to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. Paul, in referencing this same collection, he says, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up. And so that's why there's not a Lord's Day that goes by that we don't pass the collection plate because we are try- trying to the best of our ability to follow the example of the New Testament church, they took up a contribution weekly, and so do we. And so we know that giving is something we're supposed to do. It's commanded. And so we do it. As our duty, as our responsibility. But are we eager to do it? Are we excited to do it? Maybe you're aware of a need right now... a a true need in the kingdom. And you've been aware of it for quite some time and you know you ought to do something about it. You know you ought to give something in order to meet that need, but it's not something that you feel motivated to do. You're not excited about helping out a brother or a sister in need. Or maybe this morning you've got a check in your wallet or, or in your purse. It's already been made out and you're going to put it in the plate today. But you're not excited about doing that. (laughs) In fact, as you think about the amount on that check, you think, you know, those funds would really be useful if I could direct them elsewhere. In fact, I'd like to use the funds that I'm putting in the plate this morning to pad my savings account, or to put into my retirement account, or maybe just to go blow at the mall on a new outfit or a new pair of shoes that I've been wanting. Maybe you've decided to give and and you've planned, you've purposed in your heart something to give this morning to put in the plate, but it's not something that you're eager to do or ready to do. Or maybe for all these reasons we've already listed, there's not a check in your wallet and you haven't come here with the intention to give. And, And let me just pause for a second. If you're visiting with us, I'm not really talking to you right now. There's no cover charge for you to be with us this morning. And when you come, we don't expect for you to put something in the collection plate. I'm talking to those who are a part of this church family, who are regular attenders here, because I'm a strong believer that wherever you go to church, that's where you need to give. And I think the Bible teaches that. So let me just clear things up. We don't charge you anything for, for coming into this place. We're glad that you're here, and we don't expect you to, to give anything this morning. With that being said, I'm talking, to, I'm talking to the Christians here who have made this their church home. And, and I'm challenging us to move from a sense of requirement when we give to a sense of readiness, a, a, an excitement when we give. And we're going to take it a step further than that because in 2 Corinthians, Paul ups the ante even further. He says not only should we give excitedly, we should give abundantly. And... Verse 6 of the passage that was read for us earlier in 2 Corinthians 9. Paul commends sowing bountifully. This is the way of the Christian life. Sowing bountifully, and he dismisses sowing sparingly. And if you back up a chapter, he is praising the churches of Macedonia. Corinth was in a different region called Achaia, but he's looking as an example to the Christians in this region of Macedonia, and listen to what he says about them in chapter 8, verse 2. They overflowed. They didn't just give enough. They didn't just give what was required of them, an adequate amount to get by. Paul says they overflowed in a wealth of generosity. That's 8, verse 2. And they not only gave of their means, that's what we often say, when we're talking about the collection, when we gather up here and we pass the plate and we pray ahead of time before we begin the contribution, help us to give of our means. Paul says they didn't just give of their means. What does he say? They gave beyond their means. And so I am wondering, why is it that the early Christians were so eager to give abundantly? And I want to talk about two reasons in our sermon this morning that I see in this text and in other places that explain this. And these reasons can and they should inspire us. They should impact our giving. If you've gathered here this morning and you say, you know what, he's right. I'm not somebody I might give, but I don't do so eagerly and excitedly and with readiness. And so what was it about these early Christians that compelled them to give eagerly and to give abundantly? here are two reasons that I see. First of all, they knew. And I'm not just talking about head knowledge. I'm I'm saying they knew in their gut that God had abundantly blessed them. They understood this deep within themselves. They knew it at a heart level that God had been good to them. That they had been abundantly blessed by God. If you just take a survey of the New Testament, the New Testament depicts a God who doesn't just give enough. He doesn't just give an adequate amount. Just enough to get by. He is a God who repeatedly gives more than enough. In the Gospels, Jesus shows off God's abundant generosity. And it's not just at His death and His resurrection that we see this. In every miracle in the Gospels, in every parable, simply by being in the world, Jesus proclaims to all people, God is a generous God. And He loves giving more than enough. And I am here to prove it, Jesus says, in His lifestyle, in His ministry. Consider how His parables present God as an abundant giver. There was the farmer who scattered seed so liberally that most of it didn't take root. There was the king who forgave a debt of 10,000 talents. That would be millions of dollars in today's money. There was the vineyard owner who gave people far more than their work was worth. There was the father who gave away his estate to his rebellious son. And then he turned around and gave him a feast when he came crawling back having wasted all of it. There was the nobleman who gave three months' wages to all his employees, and then he went off on a foreign trip. There was the landowner, who gave his vineyard over to tenants. There was the king, who gave wedding invitations to every undesirable in the country. In these parables and more, the God figure in each of these gives away far more than he should. He goes above and beyond. He's an abundant giver, our God. Have you ever thought about the story in Mark 8 of the feeding of the 5,000? There wasn't just enough to go around. Do you remember this? There wasn't just enough. There were how many basketfuls left over? Do you remember? Seven basketfuls left over in, in Mark's account. Seven basketfuls left over. Would it not have been just as or even more amazing for Jesus to provide just? the right amount of food? Wouldn't that have amazed the crowd? They would see this miracle of Jesus. They would see that He was able to discern how many people were there exactly and provide the exact amount of food for all the people. I mean, with none left over, with with no margin. That would be amazing. So, how else do you account for the leftover, for the abundance, these seven baskets, unless Jesus is making a point here That when God gives, He doesn't just give enough. He gives more than enough. There's always overflow. There's always margin. There's always abundance. This is our God. This is the way He gives. This is how we ought to give. God's more than enough giving through Jesus. It's a theme that continues beyond the Gospels. Let me point you to the chapter right before the one we're considering. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. Check this out. Paul says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know about His grace. You know about its abundance. Let me tell you about His grace. That though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that by His uh, poverty you might become what? You might have what you need. You might have enough to get by. You might have just the right of spirit, just the right amount of spiritual blessings in order to enjoy this life and be content and then go on and experience eternal life. No, what does he say here? What word does he use to describe the blessings that we enjoy through Jesus Christ? Rich. So that you might be rich. This is the image that we are confronted with all throughout the New Testament. This is. This is the very nature of God. When He gives, He gives abundantly. He gives more than enough. And the Corinthian Christians, they knew it. They knew it in their heart. They knew it in their gut. And it compelled them to give excitedly. It compelled them to give generously. Not just enough, but more than enough. Just like their God, who had been so abundantly generous with them. Now here's the second reason. Secondly, they knew that by giving, God would continue to abundantly bless them. Look with me in uh, our text, verses 6 through 9. I want to read this again. Josh read it earlier. Let's really hone in on what Paul has to say here. The point is this. I always appreciate when somebody just says, Here's the point. And that's what you get here with Paul. Let me just lay it out for you in as clear language as possible. Here's the point. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. If you are stingy, if you don't give as much as you could or you should, then you're not going to be blessed like you could. But whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. In other words, the more generous that you are, the more blessings that you will enjoy. We'll talk more about that momentarily. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. These are some of the motivations that that we were taking issue with earlier. Be a cheerful giver, he says. God loves a cheerful giver. And we could put within that idea, God loves an eager giver, an excited giver, a ready giver. Not someone who just gives because they think it's required of them. Not somebody who gives by compulsion, or reluctantly. Verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work as it is written. He has distributed freely, He's given to the poor, and His righteousness endures forever. In these verses is found a very true principle. And I bet that it's a principle that, That you've experienced in your life. And it's this. When we are generous with God. He is generous with us. When you give to God. He gives to you. When you decide to entrust God. With not just your money. But your energy. Your talents. Your time. Your resources. Life will go well for you. Now this works itself out in several different ways and and I'm not a prosperity gospel preacher I'm not a if you believe and trust in God then everything will go your way and you'll experience health and wealth and all this but you know sometimes I do believe in this earth not all on this earth not all the time but sometimes this might work itself out financially I was reading a work by a Christian author and he talked about how he was reluctant to give anything to God he thought he needed to keep it to himself and it He came to realize this reflected a lack of trust and faith in God to care for him. But he says, the moment that I started giving generously, the moment that I started entrusting my income, my money to God, there was never a time that I didn't have enough money to pay my rent. And I bet there's been a time in your life when you didn't know what you were going to do financially. When you didn't know how you were going to pay that bill, when you didn't know how you were going to make it another day, and something happened in your life, maybe it was your church family, maybe God used this church family to help you and to bless you, to benefit you, to help you get through a tough time. I think about, and I've told this story before, and it's a very personal story, but I want to share it again. When Lauren and I were expecting our second child, we had some hiccups with health insurance, and that is that is still a struggle for a lot of you in um, in our current in, in currently as it is for our family but we were having some trouble and we weren't sure where the money was going to come from in order to bring this baby into the world and it caused us a lot of anxiety and it seemed like at the peak of our worry one of the elders came into my office and he said if you can't find the funds that you need then we'll be there for you and we'll have your back and you know I didn't I didn't view that as simply coincidental. I viewed that as God working through this church family and my elders to help me out. Now, now thankfully we were able to, to figure that out and we didn't require any extra help, but wow, that was a God moment in my life, and it was a reminder that God steps in and, and He and He provides often when our worry is at its highest level. And maybe this is how it works out. And and I'm not saying it always works out like this, but when we are generous with God, what the Scriptures tell us is that He will abundantly bless us. If you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully, but if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. But let's go beyond this, because there are greater blessings to be enjoyed by God from being generous. And another one is increased health in our relationship with God. Some of us don't give enough because we don't trust God enough. We don't trust that He's going to care for us. And when we start generously giving to God, that increases our dependence upon Him and it, and it bolsters our relationship with Him. When we start giving to God, we experience growth in our Christian character. We become more like God. We become generous like He is generous with us. We become more content. Because in this world, we're, we're all involved in, in the rat race and trying to get more and more, and we hoard it to ourselves. And that doesn't breed contentment. That breeds more and more angst and dissatisfaction with what we have. But when we let go of what we have and say to ourselves, it belongs to God anyway, I'm going to give it back to Him. What does that do? It increases contentment in our hearts. As Anne Frank famously said, No one has ever become poor by giving. No one has ever become poor by giving. From these two reasons that we've considered, reasons that the early Christians were so eager to give abundantly, I see a cycle emerge. We give because we've been abundantly given. We recognize the blessings, the abundant blessings that we enjoy from our God, and it compels us to give. Not just enough, but more than enough. And that leads us to being blessed by God because we give. We give, and so we are abundantly given in return. And so on and so forth. And this is the cycle that should exist in our lives as Christians. We acknowledge God's blessings, and so we give. And then when we give, we are blessed in return by God in a variety of ways, spiritual and otherwise. And as we experience God's blessings, we continue to give. Now the question is, how do you get in on this cycle? How do you enter this cycle? And the answer is, you start giving. You start giving more than you have before. You start entrusting God with the resources and the money that He's given you. And of course, we're talking more about just money. But that is what Paul is talking specifically about. In 2 Corinthians 9. And some of us are holding back. Some of us don't get to enjoy what God has said happens when you start giving because we're stingy with what we have. And we haven't yet acknowledged that everything we have belongs to God anyway. And so, the way that you enter into this cycle is you just start giving. So does giving excite you? Is it something you're eager about is it something you're ready to do, as Paul says the Corinthians were? Do you enjoy it? Do you enjoy giving abundantly? Most people, you know, just give enough. Enough to get by. Whatever happens to be required of them. But are you eager to give more than enough? I once listened to the, pre- the preacher from the Huntsville Inner City Church of Christ, and he was talking about their homeless ministry. And he gave regular devotional talks to the homeless people from Huntsville who would gather as part of this ministry. And he had for a while considered speaking on giving to this group. But he kept brushing it off. Putting it off. Because after all, these were homeless people. But after a while, he became convicted that he needed to present the whole counsel of God. He he needed to talk about giving, and so he did. And after it was over, he was walking back to his office, and one of the homeless gentlemen came up to him, and he placed some money in his hand, and he said, thank you so much for speaking on that topic today. And the preacher didn't look at the money until he got back to his office, but, but, and he assumed it wouldn't be much because it came from this homeless gentleman, but when he opened his hand, it was two $100 bills from a homeless man. The preacher thought, this is way too much. This guy can't afford to give this amount. And so he found the man quickly and he said, you have given way too much. Let me give some of this back to you. And he said, no, no, no. I wanted to give you that because of the difference that this ministry has made on my life. A man without much to give. Eager to give more than enough. Why? Because he knew what the Corinthian Christians knew. He knew how much God had blessed him. He had experienced a God through this, the work of this church who gives His people more than enough. Is that something we've come to realize? Do we really grasp what God has done for us? How He has gone above and beyond. How, he, how His blessings to us have overflowed I think when we do understand that, we'll begin to give as that homeless man did. You know, when I was in high school, in our Sunday school class, our youth minister gave us this card and it said on it, soggy wallet card. And it was a reminder that when we were baptized, our wallets were plunged beneath that water with us. Some of us, Haven't gotten that yet. And that's what Paul wants to remind us this morning. That it is not only our responsibility, it's not only our duty to give of our means and even beyond our means to the work of the kingdom. It is something which ought to excite us. It is something we ought to be eager and ready to do. Has your wallet been baptized along with you? Maybe you're, let's back up from that. Maybe you're here this morning and you have yet to be baptized into Christ. It's quite simple. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, then He wants you to come this morning and submit to Him in baptism. And we've got the water ready. You can't see it right now, but we will part. We could part these curtains and there is a warm pool of water back there waiting on you. God wants you to go down into that water. He wants your sins to be forgiven and when you come up out of that water as the scriptures teach, you will be as pure, you'll be as white as snow, you'll be sinless, you'll be his child. You'll be you'll be part of his family. You'll be assured salvation and life forevermore. That's what God wants you to do. Have you yet to do it? Have you yet to take this most important step in your spiritual life? I hope that you'll decide to do it right now. And if you have any other spiritual needs, I hope that you'll come and make them known as we stand and sing together.